It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. You should know, first of all, the president has spoken. We heard from Joe Biden earlier. This was at an unrelated event in the East Room of the White House there to talk about infrastructure, installing broadband service around the country. That's not, of course, what reporters wanted to hear from. And instead of dealing with the shouted questions and all of that, the president decided to get right to it. What the heck happened over the weekend in Russia, where, of course, the Wagner Group led an armed rebellion at the direction of Yevgeny Prigozhin, only to stop 124 miles short of Moscow. As I said at this time last hour, pretty basic message from the White House, because everyone is talking conspiracy theories here. To what extent did the Americans stoke this? Was NATO involved? President says... Don't look at me. They agreed with me that we had to make sure we gave Putin no excuse. Let me emphasize, we gave Putin no excuse to blame this on the West or to blame this on NATO. We made clear that we were not involved. We had nothing to do with it. This was part of a struggle within the Russian system. I also talked at length with President Zelensky of Ukraine. I'll be keeping in contact with him. I may be speaking to him later today, early tomorrow morning make sure we continue to remain on the same page. With a new round of weapons, another drawdown, $500 million, according to Bloomberg National Security reporter Nick Wadhams. Now, the other part of this, the other major development today, is we heard from Putin's chef, the aforementioned Yevgeny Prigozhin, breaking his silence for the first time since all this happened on Saturday, saying he had no intention of ousting Vladimir Putin's government. This is part of an 11-minute-long audio message on his press service's Telegram channel. Remembering that uh, he cut a deal here, brokered by Belarus, and that's where he apparently is hiding out, although we have no real sense of where he is or what he is doing. And there are a lot of questions that we have been asking for the balance of this program on what this means for him. Brett Bruin told us he's a marked man. He may not be on this earth for much longer. There are also reports, one specifically from the Daily Telegraph, saying he didn't turn around until he learned Russian agents were threatening to go after his family. Further questions about Vladimir Putin. Now that Prigozhin ripped the covers off the bed, we're taking a look at weaknesses inside his government. And this is a very opaque situation here. It's difficult for the West to know all against the backdrop of a war happening in Ukraine. Is there an opportunity for the Ukrainian military, with the help of the Americans, to seize on this distraction and confusion happening in Russia? We have a lot to talk about with Michael Kimmage, who joins us now, the professor, department chair in history at Catholic University. 
He was formerly an expert on Russia and Ukraine when it came to policy planning at the State Department, and he's with us now. Professor, welcome back to Bloomberg. I'm happy to have you here, and I'd love to tick through some of these questions with you now. Is Vladimir Putin weaker or more, in fact, is, is he strengthened based on, on what happened and the fact that he was able to put down this uprising? Well, first of all, great to be with you. I don't think that there's any analysis of the situation that puts, puts Putin out in a better place than was where he was be before. Mm-hmm. Yes, he sort of dealt with it quickly, and it, 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 it you know seemed to get wound up pretty uh, easily. But how could it happen at all? You've seen warning signs for the last couple of months that Prigozhin was going to do something. He waltzed into Rostov, a city of a million, took over the military headquarters there, and then got to the outskirts of Moscow without much uh, evident resistance. So um, even the way in which Putin has sort of put an end to the situation, if that's what it is. Uh, you know, he threatened to arrest Prigozhin in the morning on Saturday and then had a very generous deal in the afternoon. So Putin is scrambling. Uh, I don't think he's ever looked as weak or as vulnerable in the entire 23 years that he's been president. You know, possible four-year exception there from 2008 to 2012. But yeah. he's really been in power for 23 years, and this is the low point. Uh, and it's going to be difficult for him to, to dig out of it. This is the low point. Matthew Miller is a spokesman uh, at your former State Department. Michael, here's what he said this morning. I will say with respect to the activities over the weekend, obviously they were a significant step. Um, uh, it is a certainly a new thing to see President Putin's leadership directly challenged. It is a new thing to see Yevgeny uh, Prigozhin directly questioning the rationale for this war and calling out that the war uh, has been conducted essentially based on a lie, which is something that we have said previously, but we certainly have not seen coming from Russian officials previously. Those are all significant steps, and what the implications of those are, I think, remains to be seen. Professor, Evgeny Prigozhin said a lot of things out loud that many Russians were already thinking, and I can only assume that is why he was celebrated as he, or at least his Wagner troops, uh, went from one town to another, making their way down the highway uh, to Moscow. Uh, What does that tell us about the state of affairs inside Russia, the, the popular opinion when it comes to the war in Ukraine and the potential for it to end? So some of the things uh, that we want to note over the last couple of days are, are what Prigozhin did not say. And he did not say that the war should come to an end. Uh, and as he repeated in his most recent message, he didn't say that he was trying to topple the Putin uh, regime. So there's a limit to how critical he's been. Uh, and that's important to uh, acknowledge. But for months, he's been saying that the war has been terribly mismanaged. He's pinned blame so far, maybe a touch on Putin, but mostly on the Ministry of uh, Defense. So that's his real uh, enemy uh, to date. Um, But, you know, I think that what Prigozhin is capitalizing on is enormous discontent at the front. You You know, none of us really knows what's happening on the Russian side of the war. It's not easy to get information, but I don't think that he would have made his run if the Russian soldiers on the front were contented. Uh, And that's a huge vulnerability for Putin, because Putin has been, in my assessment, a very inadequate wartime president in the kind of political side of this. He's not gone to the front, rolled up his sleeves, do a lot of the things that wartime leaders do, show themselves Mm -hmm. eating with the soldiers, etc. He's been very aloof. Uh, And in that space, Prigozhin has really begun to operate. Uh, It doesn't mean that there's a quick end to the war coming. (laughs) It doesn't mean that Prigozhin is stylizing himself as an anti-war alternative to Putin because he clearly Mm -hmm. isn't. Uh, but it does mean that he and I suspect other political actors are going to start to use a badly mismanaged war with a lot of discontent on the ground 
uh, for their own agenda, and that's not Putin's agenda. Well, moreover, Michael, some are worried that this could lead to some very erratic behavior uh, by Vladimir Putin. Certainly if he thinks there's a window closing, if he thinks morale is bad, or maybe that Ukraine is somehow getting an upper hand uh, in its uh, counteroffensive We've heard him threaten things. We've heard him even uh, threaten using nuclear weapons. Uh, how concerned are you about his next move? Uh, I don't think we're there yet. Um, you know, if you take a step back from the chaos of the last couple of days, I mean, Ukraine has not advanced on the battlefield really since November 2022. Uh, Russia occupies, you know, between 17 and 20 percent of Ukrainian territory. And the counteroffensive of Ukraine so far, this could certainly change in the next couple of weeks, has reflected only minimal gains. Uh, and, you know, in some cases, they've been kind of pushed back uh, by Russian soldiers. So it's not really militarily the moment where Putin has to panic uh, and do anything different. And I don't think that nuclear weapons would be an option for the foreseeable future. I think, in a way, Putin's anxiety is going to be a lot more about his domestic position. So he may ratchet up, you know, attacks on Ukrainian civilians, missile no. attacks and such, to show that he's in charge. But I don't think you're going to see a big shift in the war. Not, not yet. So let's talk more about what he might do domestically then. He needs to find a show of strength at some point. Uh, does he start riding horses uh, shirtless again? Does he fire the general staff? How how wild could this get? <laughs> it's a bind for him. I mean, I think that he could in a way acknowledge Prigozhin's criticism as correct, fire the general staff, clean house, uh, and sort of begin again with Prigozhin still part of the team. Uh, that's That's a possibility if that's if he wants to acknowledge that degree of, of sort of power and significance, uh, he could have something very bad happen to Prigozhin, certainly, a kind of arrest, or he could have him killed. That's not um, unthinkable. But then he has to deal with, you know, the soldiers and others who may feel loyalty to Prigozhin and be very, very angry at Putin and have the weapons to, to do things of the kind that just happened over the course uh, of the weekend. So he's got to balance uh, a lot of moving pieces, and this is not the game Putin is used to playing. Putin is used to playing a game against the United States, or he's used to playing a game against liberal, educated Russians in the big cities. He knows how to play those games relatively well. This is a new game for him against his own military, uh, in yeah. effect, and I think he doesn't really know what to do. We're not going to find out till it's already happened, right? We haven't seen him, at least unless that's changed since I've been on the air. We haven't seen him uh, since this all began, since his statement on Saturday. And I don't suspect he's going to be telegraphing his moves uh, in advance. What do you think we'll see in the coming days? I think that that's right. I mean, I think he plays his cards close to his chest. He did come out Saturday morning, said a lot of things that turned out not to be true, that he was going <laughs> right. to and, and lock up Rogozhin and throw away the key. So that wasn't a great showing on Putin's part. And then you've seen, you know, a kind of quasi-public appearance of the Minister of Defense, Gerasimov, but, you know, it's not clear if that was videotaped before or sort of where he is. So it's a bit odd. It would be a little bit like September 11th happening in the U.S. and President Bush is in an undisclosed location for a week. Uh, and you can just imagine what the public response would have been to that. And that's a bit where Putin is at the moment. He doesn't appear in the Kremlin. We don't know if he's in Moscow. He probably is. You know, the sort of rumors that he went to St. Petersburg over the weekend yeah. and kind of fled right. the scene. In a, in, a, in a way, ironically, Putin's sidekick, um, you know, Lukashenko in the Belarus, who brokered the deal between Prigozhin and Putin, he comes out looking fairly resolute and active. And Putin is the guy who's, um, you know, appears clueless. And that's going to be very costly for Putin, perhaps with public opinion, but more importantly, with figures within the Russian elite who may start making their calculations about uh, how to proceed without Putin 
you know, again, I wouldn't predict that for tomorrow or next month, but right. uh, on the horizon. But but those conversations are happening right now, aren't they? Definitely. No, definitely. I think that, the you know, if you're in the Russian elite now, what you don't want is your neighbor to strike first uh, and be the one who claims uh, the throne. Uh, you have a certain incentive now to be the one who moves. Uh, and that's going to be a very, very, you know, sort of interesting, dangerous kind of scary game that we played, I think, as people begin to circle a little bit around the position of the presidency of Russia on the assumption that Putin may not be up to the job. Um, you know, wouldn't want to exaggerate that. Putin has lots of levers of power. He's canny. He's a survivor. He's going to throw everything he has at this situation. He may just keep on going. But um, people are going to look now for that opening. Uh, and they're also going to look at their neighbor looking at that opening and start to make those calculations as well. So we should turn our attention to the plays of William Shakespeare and figure out uh, what they may tell us about the king and, and, the, and the successors to the king. You know we're in trouble when the professor tells you to read Shakespeare. Uh, <laughs> what, do, what do our listeners need to know about Alexander Lukashenko? You just mentioned him, the president of Belarus. Who would have thought he would come uh, to the rescue, if I can use that term here? Uh, did he just, was the timing right? He, he gave Vladimir Putin an off-ramp when he needed one? Yes. I mean, he's, of course, saving his own hide. I mean, in the summer of 2020, there were massive protests about a rigged election in Belarus. And Lukashenko, who's a dictator and sort of has been for many years, uh, sometimes referred to optimistically as Europe's last dictator, you know, he cracked down in the summer of 2020. And Putin came to his rescue then with resources uh, and support. And then Putin staged the war against Ukraine in part from from Belarus in, in February 2022. So they've been pretty closely tied together in terms of the war effort. Uh, and I guess they just go back and forth when they experience moments of weakness. The other one comes in uh, and tries to prop up the, the whole system. And, and that's kind of worked. But, you know, Lukashenko doesn't look like he's in great health. Uh, you know, who knows how much genuine popular support he has. Uh, and, you know, this game is you can't play it forever. You know, yeah. if, if only for biological reasons, you can't play it forever. But <laughs> up, now it becomes increasingly clear that for political reasons, there's going to be an end to all of this, uh, and it's probably going to be a very ugly one. Good Lord. You need to come back and finish that thought. <laughs> professor, thank you for joining us. Michael Kimmich, professor, and he's uh, chair of the History Department at Catholic University, having worked at the State Department, uh, involved in Russia and Ukraine policy planning in a perfect voice for this time as we try to understand what it means for both Russia and Ukraine, never mind Europe. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio.